So, you know, we work with our internal product team to create these new pillars so that our readers can access stories and information. So we started yeah. the shopping channel in 2019 because we wanted to kind of like observe the market's affinity and understanding of affiliate marketing. Welcome back to Media Voices, everybody. We're the Media Focus podcast that takes a look at all the news and the views from the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And that clip you just heard was from Rita Lee, who is the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Lifestyle in Southeast Asia. So we talked about her work at Yahoo Lifestyle, including spinning up new content pillars, what the opportunity for e-commerce is like in Asia, and what media trends she's got her eye on over the next few years. Um, we also have a conversations episode coming up. Peter, why don't you take us through exactly what that's about? Last year, the team at PubPig, the publishing platform, analyzed data from their publishing clients and interviewed 40 senior execs to create the company's first annual state of the digital publishing market report. We talked to, or I talked to Johnny Caldor about the report and all the things that they found out for this conversations episode. So that episode is live on the website, which is voices.media. And just before we begin the news roundup, we're used to talking about external news, news from outside Media Voices. But Esther, you have some pretty big news of your own to share right now. Yeah, well, this is going to be my last episode for a couple of weeks. Don't know how long it depends how long I can bear to leave <laughs> you guys to it. Uh, yeah, because I've got to I've got to spend the next couple of weeks figuring out how to keep a small human alive. So, um... and, and just to be clear, because that sounds quite dodgy, yeah. you're talking about a baby. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. My, my baby. I'm not like, going to go yeah. steal a baby. You're just right. stealing a human. <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm sure that everybody who's listening wishes you well. And yes, and I'm, I'm sure no, no doubt it'll make an appearance in the background in a future episode. <laughs> but I suppose before Esther disappears, we have a packed news roundup to get through. On oh, my favourite topic. I was going to just... say, yeah, this is a gift for you. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that you're still here. For <laughs> well, Esther, why don't you take us through exactly what's happened this week between Google, Australia, the US, basically this big war that's brewing? I, I think probably after the last couple of years we've had, I'm not sure I like the idea of describing it as a war. But um, <laughs> So Google have threatened this week to withdraw from Australia. Um, this is not the only thing that's happened this week. Uh, so Australia's um, news, media and digital platforms mandatory bargaining code. Easy for should... you to say. That's <laughs> got you from the ACCC um, was supposed to come into force in November 2020. And basically there was a lot of backwards and forwards. So they said, okay, well, you know, we'll open it up to submissions. And the Australian Senate has been meeting this week to hear submissions and feedback from, from a range of people involved. Um, and it's basically just ended up in sort of threats from everybody and anybody possibly involved, like Tim Berners-Lee's got involved. Google have got involved, Facebook involved, the US has got involved, and it's just got a bit messy. I feel really sorry for Tim Berners-Lee. You know, he's he's not angry with us. He's just disappointed by what we're doing with the internet. It's like he's the internet's dad, and we're all making really terrible use of it. You no, know, the first thing that I would say about it, I hate the language that surrounds this. <laughs> yeah. You know, the whole threat and blackmail and going to war. It just, I mean, these are commercial decisions. Australia wanted to introduce this code to get Facebook, I mean, it, it, it's basically targeting Facebook and Google 
to pay Australian publishers for linking to their content. So it's not entirely dissimilar from um, what France was looking to do. Well, the European Union generally was looking to last year with the snippet tax, that if you click through from Google or you click through from Facebook, um, Google and Facebook would have to pay publishers for that, which, I like, there are a lot of problems with Google and Facebook. That is absolute insanity and is not the way the internet works. So there's a couple of things going on here. Who's the biggest media guy in Australia? <coughs> Murdoch. So, really, who's pushing this? The Australian government or is it him? <laughs> That's what... <laughs> <laughs> I do love how quickly you went to, right, no, this is all like clandestine stuff. Oh, no, it's he's... just money again. It's... Mm. Of course it's money. That's actually what they're talking about. But what else they're saying is right. You know, that... that... <laughs> People trying to lie in their own pockets, whether that's Google on one side or Murdoch on the other side, they're not paying attention to how the internet actually works. Well, yeah, I was going to say, to what extent is this now sort of like unstoppable force meets incompetent objects when it comes to some <laughs> of like the governments who just don't really have an idea of how best to deal with this kind of stuff? If you're going to tax Google and Facebook, tax them. Just tax them. Yeah. Yeah. Stop dicking around. If you're trying to subsidise journalism through this kind of uh, revenue raising, just call it a tax and do it. What just happened in France? Because they've just done a deal in France. Okay, so France is like a... <laughs> Nobody's really sure yet. Um, so France France were looking to implement the snippet tax, and what Google and Facebook have done instead is negotiate licensing fees um, for their two separate news products, at which point France has kind of gone... Yeah, okay. Um, at the moment, the snippet tax isn't being enforced and neither side has said they'll abide by it, but the French publishers are kind of mollified because they've got these at least three-year licensing deals at the moment. And what Facebook has turned around and said to Australia this week... Yeah, this is big. ...is, can you just postpone the code for six months, let us work out alternative deals with news outlets to pay for content, and then we'll come back and talk about it? Um, but it, it, there's then lots of... like. <laughs> This is this this puts a lot of Europe in a really difficult position because they're supposed to be implementing this snippet tax code themselves. Like you know, Europe passed the law; it's got to be passed into local law. And I, I, oh, thank God for Brexit. This is going to be so messy. <laughs> but is this not okay? Again, the case that ultimately the person who loses the most is the news consumer because a lot of people who do tend to get you know most of their news through these platforms, they're going to be the ones who have their service disrupted. Also, smaller publishers. Yeah, because you know they. <laughs> like it or not they get found through search mm -hmm. and okay what well, we're all going to move to bing and duck duck go i, <laughs> I did I, I nearly took a bet on how long it was going to be before big rid its head in this conversation <laughs> ask jeeves is going to make a big comeback this year i can feel it well the point yeah. of that though again on this thread from benedict evans is if you apply this to google you've got to apply it to duck duck go yeah yeah and, and that's the thing and i mean so so google and facebook have both said this week that google said that they would remove their they, they would just withdraw from the country but what's not clear is would that just be search or would they pull gmail would they pull docs would they pull maps at which point you're suddenly looking at like that that's that's huge for australia facebook have said that they block australians from sharing news on facebook and instagram and the us uh late very late last week basically said that um if if australia implement this it could run counter to the us australia free trade agreement so it's low stakes is what you're saying there's, all, there's like no repercussions there's 
Um, the Australian right. Prime Minister actually said that Australia makes rules for things that you do in Australia. That's done in our Parliament. Uh, he's a bit Trumpian. <laughs> he, Scott Morrison, isn't he? He's a bit... Actually, that's really bad. I'm not, I'm not saying he's Trumpian. There's only one Trump. I've, I watched that uh, the BBC Trump show documentaries last night. Peter's gone. We, do we, don't, we, don't need, we don't need to worry about this anymore. He's gone. <laughs> well, you know what we do? Because see the loonies that actually, that actually enabled him. They're still there. Well, I think any listeners we have in Australia should actually email us and tell us what the hell is going on and <laughs> what you think about this. And, and is it is it um it's Demolition Man where they have the franchise wars and ultimately Taco Bell is the yeah, only restaurant yeah, yeah. allowed. It's going to be like that, but with the platform wars guaranteed. I keep coming back to this Benedict Evans thread, but there's just some nutcases on there. Where like one person says, "Oh, if we can't, if we haven't got search, I'll just go back to the library and I'll use the library." <laughs> Oh wow! And someone and someone said, "Well, okay, but are you going to get the authors in the library to pay for all the citations that they've got in the back of the books that yeah. they're writing?" Well, I suppose we should move on now to the news in brief, <laughs> lest we drive ourselves mad trying to understand that. So, news in brief. Forbes is launching a newsletter platform. Everybody should just launch a newsletter platform. <laughs> the world needs more newsletter platforms. Anyway, Forbes's newsletter platform would allow journalists to have their own paid newsletters with a revenue share. Um, I don't know, this is a weird one. I get it, in a way. It's like the contributor network, but for newsletters. But so what I don't you wonder, about that, yeah? I kind of wonder why you would hitch your wagon to the Forbes star. I think mm. if, you, if you're not big enough to do it completely by yourself, there's a little bit of backing there and i think it's things like they get access to um health insurance and things like that that you don't get if you're on your own but they're looking for people that have already got followers yeah but not i I suppose that they're not looking for the casey newtons they're looking for kind of the ones in the middle that have got a big following that can come to forbes but not necessarily big enough following to sustain them on their own Mm, i'm not so sure about this one Another busy week for facebook it's referred its decision to indefinitely suspend trump to its new oversight board um, so I think this this was widely praised as the right thing to do because the, this is kind of what the board was set up for. But there's um, should the board decide to overturn the suspension, there's going to be a lot of questions about whether that was actually the right move for Facebook at the time. So this this is kind of a bit of a definitely one to watch here. It's a do or die, isn't it? But sink yeah. or swim for that. For the outside never, board. They'll never overturn that, <laughs> he said. <laughs> he well, said confidently. And... Um, this one's quite interesting. Silicon Valley investment firm Andreessen Horowitz is launching a new opinion-driven tech media publication, which is going to publish articles from outside contributors. I've seen this described as basically being tech advocacy from a VC. You know, it was, I think it was actually Ben Evans who described Andreessen Horowitz as being uh, kind of a VC, a media company that just happened to do VC on the side. And so this idea that they're going to be the advocates for big tech and actually have a publication to try and you know push the the agenda and the discussion more towards the favour of big tech is kind of an interesting one. Isn't this uh, just content marketing though? It's well, like it a, sort of is, like yeah. a mattress company having a magazine. Yeah, to some extent. <laughs> the, I think the the issue is that very very rarely do people have massive controversies about mm. mattresses, and mattress companies in general don't tend to dictate the fates of a lot of. No, there was a mattress controversy a few years ago. There, oh, do you remember? Hey. Yeah, I do. That was great. That there was that was it a New Yorker article that went in. De- it was like a four thousand word New Yorker article all about the mattress wars and how they yeah. were basically just like 
there's some really dodgy stuff going on around them. So, so you say there's no mattress controversy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, DMGT, that's the Daily Mail Group, has been hit by an overall revenue decline of 15%. It's print advertising has slumped by thirty eight percent. You know what's horrible about that, and I know that the pandemic is, you know, is largely to blame for a lot of that. Is that we always thought that that was going to slow just because the proportions of money involved did mean that kind of those mm. that slump would tail off gradually. Yeah, but it's it's all it's all down. It's all because metros collapsed. Yeah, yeah. metro not being there. Yeah, um, I mean that, that, that like they were circulating like a million copies a day in London. That's just like. Not 8% up in digital, not enough. Nowhere near enough. You gotta be eight. That's also that's less than I thought that would be, you know. Yeah, that's actually that seems quite low. Yeah, doesn't it? Well, we're being nice about Daily Mail Group. Well, it's not, it's not that we're nice about the Daily Mail Group, it's that we're nice about the people who whose jobs depend on it. Yeah, who are the innocent scorners. That's that's profound. That's a great episode. <laughs> Everything's just too dramatic this week. Well, it's about to get better. Go on, Esther, get ripped in. So Taboola, my favourite company, has rolled out Taboola Stories, my favourite format. <laughs> uh, so pu- publishers can now add stories or story-style article recommendations to the top of their websites. Lucky, lucky us. Yeah, I'm good. So, what I, I'm really confused about what this is going to look like in practice, though. Oh, so I'll, I'll put a link in. Um, I'll put a link on the website. But basically, right. So you know, the, you know, Taboola normally gets comes at the bottom of an article, and you yeah. get the little boxes. So instead, you could go to a publisher website and see the circular stories widget at the top, and you'd tap on it, and it'd be these sort of visual these visual stories interspersed with, um, you know top 10 amazing chocolate cakes you can make sort of thing but they're t- they're tabula stories yeah yeah so so it, it'll be a mixture of publisher network stuff and tabula network stuff and finally peter i'm gonna have to come to you for some context of this one rolling stone <laughs> is going to start running a effectively a pay-to-play system it's offering quote-unquote thought leaders the chance to write for its website if they're willing to pay two thousand dollars to quote-unquote shape the future of culture <laughs> so we just leave it there. Well, I think I think actually this is the final, the final nail in the coffin of culture. You know, the, like Hunter Thompson or whatever. Someone saying to him, "Well, give us two grand and you can write a cover story." He'd be like, he probably shoot you. <laughs> I just it, it seems to me just to be making it slightly too explicit. What a sort of billionaires club a lot of yeah, publishing actually is. Point. You know, what I mean, like before you could sort of pretend it wasn't and that there was some genuine meritocracy to it well if anybody would like to pay two thousand dollars to shape the future of media and color like we're more than happily happy oh yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah if, whatever you want <laughs> two grand you can have whatever you want this week i spoke to rita lee who is the editor-in-chief of yahoo lifestyle in southeast asia she's got more than 15 years experience in publishing and online media so i started by asking her about her career how she got to where she is now and what has changed in that time Basically, like any other reporters or journalists, I started out writing for magazines, you know, your traditional publishing, right? So I started writing for Hello Magazine and Hot, which is like a local entertainment magazine. I wrote for about like three years for both magazines. And then in 2009, I decided to write 
the digital waves, you know, with Microsoft. <laughs> and that's when I was uh, writing for MSN website. I was in charge of the lifestyle channel and then entertainment channel. And from there, I guess with experience and, you know, working with respective leads from other departments, I got to learn a lot, you know, in my journey in the digital realm, I would say. So I was uh, promoted to the editor-in-chief for MSN Malaysia. And back then, I think we were in a really great place. You know, it was just like MSN, it was Yahoo, it was like Google and things were, were doing great at that time. I'm sure you've heard, you know, about other stories where some other companies have, have you know, reduced their budget headcounts or even the newsroom size. Uh, so yeah. from there, I guess I moved on from Malaysia. I moved to Singapore. And from there on, I, I joined Singapore Press Holdings, and my role was to uh, provide, you know, advice and digital knowledge across the magazine titles that SPH had licensed with, and even for their internal titles. After I left SPH, I joined Yahoo right now. So here I am. Magazines certainly where we are have have been in sort of almost terminal decline for um, probably the last couple of decades. Has that also been the case over where you are? That you can sort of see that they're yeah that they're really on their way out. Yeah, I mean we, we've been seeing a couple of like um, you know the magazine magazine titles tampering off. Like last year, we covered a story of how one of the biggest publishing house in Malaysia who had to closed down and you know the editorial teams there the editors who spoke to yahoo anonymously were just kind of shocked that you know it was just a sudden thing so i guess like the circulation for magazine titles are not doing that great here i guess we're seeing like you know the dropouts in numbers and people's behaviors in consuming news have moved online yeah so what does your day-to-day -day work involve in your role as editor-in-chief of Yahoo Lifestyle and Entertainment at the moment? Mm. So I look after the Lifestyle channel. We look after, you know, the markets in Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, so the English markets. We don't have offices there, so the headquarters is based out of Singapore. So my role is to, you know, create content, English content across the markets. Uh, whether it's across beauty, fashion, travel, entertainment. And right now, you know, we've introduced shopping as well as luxury news and parenting. Is it the shopping and parenting that are the new channels you've spun up? Yes, those are the two new pillars that we generated last year. Yeah, so what, what was the sort of thought process behind um, identifying and, and launching those? Yeah, so I guess like at Yahoo, you know, our 360 approach includes human curated content based on like trusted news partners. And we have our own original reporting as well as immersive content to provide like a holistic approach for our readers. So, you know, based on that, you know, with like live data and statistics, we were able to pinpoint topics that interest our readers. And this covers like luxury news as well as parenting and shopping. 
So, you know, we work with our internal product team to create these new pillars so that our readers can access stories and information. So we started yeah. the shopping channel in 2019 because we wanted to kind of like observe the market's affinity and understanding of affiliate marketing. But it's only in 2020 that, you know, we decided to push it further. And with the rise of the pandemic, which forced all of us to just stay at home for our safety, you know, that we understood and noticed the behavior shift in online shopping. So, yeah. Do you think that's a behavior shift that's going to continue for a little for, for, for a long time? Or do you think that that's going to shift back once people, well, I was going to say once people get back to normal, it sounds like you're a bit more back to normal than we are. Yeah, I mean, I feel that shoppers in Asia are very savvy. We are seeing a lot of companies like rolling out e-wallets with rewards program to anti-shoppers. And in 2020, you know, according to Statista, the e-commerce market in Southeast Asia amounted to approximately 62 billion US dollars. Wow. So, yeah, it's amazing. And, and from that, I feel that, you know, the shoppers, they are bargain hunters, they're looking for rewards. And this behavior shift to online, it's what prompted them to, you know, look for deals or look for bargains. They're doing research. So, yeah, I would say this trend would probably continue upwards. Yeah. So from the point of view of how people actually go and, and access that kind of content, is that is that articles you publish online with um, sort of affiliate links or, or you said a shopping channel? Is that a... Yes. So what happens is that uh, we have a small uh, team of shopping editors and we have like a kind of like an editorial calendar where we find out what kind of temple events that are happening and we work with, say, some of our partners to create content around their campaigns. So with that, you know, we try to generate um, or, you know, give a little bit of our own curation of say a mix of evergreen content as well as uh, our uh, providers or even our partners campaign on top of that. Yeah, I'm quite curious over the last year, um, certainly where we are, teams have been hugely disrupted. You know, we're, we're still in lockdown. Um, a lot of companies and publishers have had to go working completely remote. How's that been for you over in Singapore? Have you? Did you have to kind of go into some sort of lockdown? Like how, how did you carry on working last year? Yeah, it was, I always discuss this with my friends, right? And everyone keeps saying that it's 2020 is almost like a blur. But for me, it was like, wow, it was full on. I remember we just started, you know, in, in the early days of the pandemic, we kind of noticed a search for information and news updates relating to the virus global reach and impact, how countries are responding, you know, the health and scientific knowledge about the virus. So I guess people were consuming news online, you know, they, they sought trusted sources for consumption. So on Yahoo, we saw a massive uptick in content viewers and an increase in COVID-19 related searches. So our global editorial network, you know, notably in the US, UK and Singapore, we came together to provide like 24 hours up to date coverage on the coronavirus. So wow. just a little context, um, 
Verizon Media is actually home to brands like Yahoo, TechCrunch, and AOL. So about yeah. like 900 million people across the globe can, you know, they love and trust our, our brands. <laughs> and, you know, from that, we responded quite early on. We released like a series of Stay Well Together content on Yahoo Singapore and Yahoo TV, which focus on content dedicated to well-being, ranging from mental health to fitness and parenting. So globally, Verizon Media launched Yahoo Life, which is dedicated to providing well-being, education, news, and resources for mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And we also donated like 10 million in advertising inventory to support mental and public health response efforts to COVID-19. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, because I mean, like lifestyle and entertainment content must have been a little bit trickier to source at times. If nobody's going out, you've not got any, well, you've not got as many kind of entertainment stories, I suppose. Correct. That's why this new, this series that we started called Stay Well Together was, you know, on how to exercise at home or even uh, where to shop for groceries or, you know, health supplements and things like that. We, we try to deliver content that is useful to our readers. And, you know, even to our video content, um, some food hacks or like kitchen hacks that the team had published last year. So it was pretty interesting to see this kind of content. You know, we were just at home trying things uh, in front of like <laughs> the, the video or like we shoot on, on our own iPhone and just quickly put it out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, um, is that international collaboration with the other teams something you've done before or, or something you'd do again? We would think so, yes. I think moving forward, it's always been in our DNA to collaborate with the other markets. And this applies to the shopping uh, team globally as well, because we all have you know, similar interests, whether it's in fashion, you know, where to buy the latest sneakers or what the celebrities are wearing. We do try to reuse or repackage each, other's, uh, each other market's content. Are there certain things that your audience would find perhaps more or less interesting than audiences over here? So um, have you got sort of particular celebrities or, or entertainment stories that your market in South Asia are interested in from the West? Or do you kind of try and find a bit more of a local, regional spin on it? Mm, that's a good question. We do package international celebrities. Okay, I can speak for Yahoo Lifestyle. So... Yeah. You know, in terms of like being cooped up at home and, you know, because of the pandemic and there's a lot of shift going online and people are just watching Netflix series. Uh, we realized that uh, from search terms and data that people are consuming, uh, watching, you know, and binge watching all this series. And we decided to create content across like, you know, this Netflix series. So surprisingly, you know, like your reality shows, Love Island or even currently right now, the Bling Empire, it's trending for Southeast Asia and certainly I'm sure in, in the UK and US. So, you know, we, we created interviews or even reviews on the episodes and we realized that people are actually searching for it and landing on our articles. So there is an appetite, I would say, for uh, celebrity, international celebrity content. Uh, we try to, you know, create content around what people are searching for and 
it's to you know give the masses what they want right i'm very sorry to have inflicted love island on you from all the way of <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty entertaining i would say <laughs> Um, and then in terms of where audiences go to actually consume the content you produce, um, I mean, that must have changed in the last 10 years. Do they, do they, presumably they don't come straight to the website anymore. Like, is social a big part of it? Where, where do people go to read what you do? Yeah, so the audience consume Yahoo's content both via our Yahoo homepages and they do discover content on social media. So a big part of like the Yahoo lifestyle strategy this year is to grow evergreen content. And some of them can be tagged to shopping articles. So for example, I'll give you uh, that it was this whole rainy season that happened here in Singapore, you know, every day or for the past like two weeks has been raining cats and dogs. So the team <laughs> jumped on creating a shopping article that recommends waterproof boots, bags, makeup. And, you know, we saw like sales of umbrellas jumping in our backend data. So that's pretty, pretty <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. And we find that celebrity content is huge for us. You know, when we interview the celebrities and when the personalities themselves share those content on their social media account, it just goes to show that there's trust in your reporting, you know, for them to share with their fans. Um, and then what are some of the biggest media trends you've got your eye on over the next couple of years? Media trends. Well, for Verizon as a whole, you know, 5G is going to dramatically transform digital journalism and we are already seeing this happening. So there are some examples like, you know, the Verizon media editors, they've created together with the product team, they've created this, you know, daily coronavirus mobile map that provided an AR view of the outbreak. So you could, oh, wow. yeah, we could see like active cases by the country and even down to the states in the US. So I guess like with, you know, user interests evolve, we are committed to producing more content in immersive formats. We would probably have several exciting projects coming up next year, I would say. And then the last thing we ask all our guests is, what's the last thing you read or saw which really affected you? Hmm, that really affected me. I guess right now, you know, everyone's just so... Everyone's been consuming content on Biden's inauguration, right? And there are like so many interesting content coming up from there, down to even the fashion, and you know drilling down to what lady gaga is wearing what the meaning of you know the color purple is and the color white what what the colors represent i thought that was was really really interesting i think some of our yahoo life editors in the us and uk uh, had had long features on on the fashion and it, it gives like the readers an up close view of like you know there is a thought process right behind the attire behind what these colors represent in history so i thought that's that was pretty pretty fun to read and of course like um you know memes everyone loves memes and yeah <laughs> our editors like curated uh, bidden and uh, sorry bernie sanders memes with his meetings and they caught caught that like you know funky chic <laughs> look uh, that was pretty pretty entertaining to to see and read and you know people sharing that content 
So if you haven't had enough of Media Voices at this point, you can listen to our new Conversations episode with Johnny Calder talking about the state of the digital publishing market. Just go to the website voices.media and it's there. And if you want to keep Peter and Chris fueled with virtual coffees while I'm away, you can go to voices.media slash support where you can find a link to our Ko-Fi page. Is it, would you spend it on coffee or beer? You'd probably be um, It'd be both. I want to kind of speedball the, the two. Well, so I, I, I want to, yeah. I think yeah. a couple of episodes in without you telling us what to do will be probably hard. Do whiskey, run it. You're worth <laughs> say, yeah, get some, get some really nice single malt. Hard liquor. And if you're still in desperate need of some Media Voices content, you can go to our website, voices.media, to sign up for our daily newsletter. That goes out every single day of the week and includes a roundup of the four most important stories from the previous uh, day that we think are most important to you. So do go to the website to check that out and also our archive of past episodes. Thank you very much for listening to Media Voices. Please join me in saying congratulations and good luck to Esther. Woo, woo, woo! Woo! <laughs>